0: How many of you enjoy uh, simple kids' games? Let me see your hands. Raise them. All right. One of the cool things about kids is uh, they have these games that if you know the title of the game, then you know the rule and how to play the game. So, for instance, Follow the Leader, right? That's a game that you just know what it's called and you already know how to play. Now, Follow the Leader is interesting because that's one of those games uh, that's so incredibly simple that even adults can play, and, and they do. And sometimes hundreds of people are there watching them. We call it a parade. Right? And when you think about a parade, anyone know how to be in a parade? Okay? What you do, right, would be to follow the person in front of you. Not that hard unless you're the front person, then there's probably some challenges. It seems easy enough, but, uh, there's a buddy of mine who's a pastor in Atlanta, and he, in 1996, was a corporal in the United States Marine Corps, and he was leading the, uh, Thank you. I knew we'd have one. Thank you. And he was leading the color guard in, in the Christmas parade right here in San Jose. And he was walking along. And as he's walking along, he's he's coming to this, to this point where the entire parade is hanging a right. But as he comes up, he sees a guy in a yellow jacket and a clipboard in his hand. And the guy with the yellow jacket and a clipboard, in my friend Miles' mind, means he is in charge. And three times, this guy is telling Miles, go go this way. Go to the right when everyone else was, was was well, he would go left. Yeah, go left when everyone else was turning right. And so Miles is coming up. He sees the entire parade going this way. So he gives the command to his color guard to turn left at that point. Now, mind you, think about a parade route. What is left? People. Yeah, that's right. So my buddy Miles is marching along with the flag, and he gives the command to go left. And what does the crowd have to do but part like the Red Sea? So they just go, wow, and he's marching through the crowd now. Now think about this, parade route. What's beyond the parade route? Nothing, right? They're all at the parade. So now my friend Miles is marching into kind of an empty street. The crowd has parted. I mean, I'm sure they're excited about their good fortune because they're like, wow, something unique and interesting is happening at this part in the parade. Now, here's what's fantastic. This is one of the lowlights in my buddy's life in terms of brilliant leadership. And just as God would have it, his wife was there to snap a picture. So Jenny, Jenny is on the parade route, and she gets a picture. So here's my buddy, Miles. Do you see the parade all going that way? All right, now here's Miles. Do you see the guy with the yellow jacket? He's got a clipboard. He's in charge. Uh, to hear my buddy Miles say it, he says, a guy in a yellow jacket with a clipboard is actually Satan. Avoid him. <laughs> so my buddy Miles is the one holding the flag. You see his his two uh, angular stripes there. So he's the guy in charge. He knows what's going on. Now, as he's marching down an empty street, he is trying to figure out what he should do. And he says that he can see that he's approaching some train tracks. And mind you, he also hears that a train is coming. So as he's marching along, he can't, for the life of him, remember the command to make people stop, which is detail halt. He can't think of that because he's kind of flustered. But if you zoom in on this picture, do you see that train? That train is zooming toward them. As this company is marching along, they're cruising along, and Miles can't think of the thing to stop. There's train coming. There's a train track coming. And so... At the very last possible second, he says, and stop. <laughs> and everyone stopped within inches of a train that's <laughs> jamming by. And, and, and Miles tells this story. And he says, you know, to this day, there are people who were on that train wondering what on earth is this marine color guard right there honoring America as they're all jamming by it matter who you follow if you join the marines you are trained or any military you are trained to follow commands no matter what even if this guy's about to kill you marching you in front of a train i want you to think for a minute about people that you have followed in your lifetime it could be a teacher it could be a coach it could be a family member it could be a pastor But think about the people that you have followed. You listened to their voice. You went with them. And then the follow-up question would be this. Was it a great source of joy as you write this name down, as you think about this person? Or is there regret involved in it? Is there shame? Is there sin that has come from that? No doubt, the longer you live, the longer you have a list on both sides of, of that equation. People you followed that say, when that person was an absolute godsend for me. They led me out of this dark place and did some incredible things. And that person was a nightmare. I cannot believe. It, it was literally a train wreck in my own emotional life. I cannot believe that I followed that person. We have been in this series that we're calling step of yes. We're looking at individuals that God invited to be used by him to right some incredible wrongs. And looking at their footsteps reveals their decisions. So more than just lip service, saying what they believe, we're able to do what we do with footsteps. We look back and see their track record, and their track record speaks for itself as to whether they trusted God or not. Now, we all get to choose in life. Every one of us gets to choose in life, and sometimes we choose smart, and sometimes we choose stupid, right? That's just the reality. But we get to choose. And as we choose smart or stupid, there's, there's results to that. As we see our footsteps following those paths, there's results that come with that. And with Joshua, we see this incredible man of faith who RSVP did this invite and he said yes to God. Uh his his invitation, by the way, thank you so much to Ben um, uh, Austin who drew our picture this morning. And by the way, the Kellers um posted our pictures over here to my right and your left. This is kind of like our version of the refrigerator, where you hang kids art. We just have a massive refrigerator and there's more coming. So Uh, You can come and check out the artwork and kind of remember the series and see all the different um, uh, drawings that we've had to kind of illustrate. But Joshua was invited by God to lead. Now, long before any leader gets their corner office and their name on the door and all of that, there's a process that begins, that builds into that person to see what kind of leader that they were going to be. Joshua did some incredible things for the people of God, no doubt about it. And God knew that, and so long before he began preparing Joshua's heart, he began preparing his experiences now, just so that you'll listen to me this morning, I want to take a quick look at leadership. Okay, And here's my fear. I think some of you in this room, if I bring up the topic of leadership, I think you might fall into the camp of, oh, man, I'm hungry for this. Let's talk. Sometimes there's, there's a sense where leadership being talked about stirs in the hearts of certain kinds of leaders that they say, man, I'm hungry for this. And they just get fired up about it. But I fear that some of you in this room might check out and say, well, I'm not a leader. Or this isn't for me. Or listen to this through the ears of your boss, who you may not like as a leader, or you think needs to grow as a leader, or some other leader in your life. What I want you to do is think about leadership with me for a second, and I'm hoping to open your minds to say that this is for you, that we're not listening to this uh, for someone else, but that we're listening to it for us. Now, it is possible to absolutely gorge yourself on leadership books. There are leadership books that pump out all the time. And if you go into any uh, brick-and-mortar bookstore, if they're already left, I'm not sure that there are, uh, there would be aisles of that. There would be tons of books on leadership. If you walk into a bookstore and say, are there any books here on leadership? The guy who's been working for 10 minutes at the store is like, yeah, we got them. I know we've got them. Let me go find them. But of course there are, right? It's possible to gorge yourself on books. It's possible to gorge yourself on conferences, I would venture to guess somewhere in the world, right now there's a leadership conference going on, right? Um, and the, 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 there's a lot of good to that. I've read a ton of books on leadership. I've got a lot of great books on my shelf. I'd be happy to loan you on leadership. There's some phenomenal stuff out there. The problem is, each one of those books, each one of those conferences, is going to give you some nuanced definition of it. It's going to give you principles that you're going to master. And sometimes your head can start to swim about the whole topic of leadership, and you can get thoroughly confused. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write at least a couple of things down. The first thing I want you to write down is a definition of leadership, so you know that what I'm talking about, uh, and we're all on the same page. If you were to try to write down a definition right now of leadership, maybe depending on how many books you've read, that may confuse you more, or maybe you'd be able to kind of articulate some kind of of of, of answer to that. What is leadership? What I want to do this morning is I want to take the the cookies from the high shelf and I want to just put them nice and low and say, look. For, for the sake of our conversation, let's think of leadership with one word that we'll remember. And in fact, there's a, there's a guy who's spent his life studying leadership, and I respect him a lot. And he defines it this way. He would say that leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. That leadership is influence. Now, there's a lot of other things that are kind of nuanced there. But I've read a lot of books. I've studied leadership and been in leadership and been around leaders for a long time, I think that's actually a pretty good definition. Leadership is influence. So for the sake of this morning, let's let's go with that definition. I hope that's something you can walk away with. And as we as you think about things, you can go, you know what, leadership's just about influence. So you don't have to memorize, you know, kind of a, a whole sentence purpose statement style definition. Now there's a couple of, I think, myths, there's probably a lot more than a couple, but there's a couple of things I think that that people um, believe falsely about leadership, and I'm going to throw out just two of them. One is the position myth. The position myth says this, I need to be in a position to lead, or I am in a position, therefore I am a leader, okay? Um, leadership, if you think about it, leadership is transitory in nature. Most leaders don't stay in one spot for long. Think about sports for a minute, coaches, right? Do coaches stay long in any of the leagues around the nation? The answer is no. It's a, it's a rarity to have a coach there for five years, right? There's this demand that says, let's switch it up. Even if the coach is doing a great job, they'll often switch it out to say, we need to change things up. We've got paying customers. We need to be winning. So they'll, so they'll change it up. Part of the transitory nature of it, though, is that you have people in positions who aren't leaders or they are ineffective in their leadership in that capacity. Um, John Maxwell said it this way, he who thinks he leads but has no followers is only taking a walk, right? So there are some people who are taking a walk. They've got the title. They've got a business card, right? They got the parking spot, but they're just out for a stroll. Uh, this is illustrated really well when Dan Reeves was the head coach of the Denver Broncos. Dan Reeves was a great coach, excellent leader. He was head coach of the Denver Broncos. And at the time, a guy by the name of Mike Shanahan, who's now a well-known head coach, was the assistant coach in Denver. Pretty power power-packed coaching team there. There was a quarterback who played for Stanford long ago by the name of John Elway who was there. Again, probably another strong leader. Now, Dan Reeves is the head coach. He's the one who gets to call out the offensive schemes and say, this is the game plan of what we're doing. But what was happening in Denver at that time is you had Mike Shanahan, the assistant coach, and John Elway, the quarterback of the team, running their own offensive scheme. So I ask you, in that setting, who's the leader? Mike Shanahan's the leader. Who's supposed to be the leader? The head coach, right? So that's the position But the real leader in that situation is the one who's being followed, the one who is, catch this, influencing the change and the game plan. So that's an example of position not really mattering necessarily as to whether leadership is going on. Stanley Huff said this, it's not the position that makes the leader, but the leader that makes the position. So what I want you to do is blow apart your mind and say, well, I've never been a leader clearly because I've never held a leadership position. False, myth busted. All right, next one, uh, the personality myth. While some are clearly naturally gifted leaders, and by that I would just say naturally gifted influencers of other people, leadership is not a personality type. Let me say that again. Leadership is not a personality type. How many have heard of a type A leader? Raise your hand if you've heard of that phrase, OK? OK. I don't care if you're A, B, C, D, all the way down to Z. I don't care what type of personality you've been labeled with. You may be a leader. And in fact, I would venture to guess you are leading in some way, no matter your personality type. So here's the other myth that I think um, uh, excludes people from the leadership discussion is they say, well, I'm not a leader. And what their meaning is, I am not a type A personality. If you don't know what that is, Google it. I won't be offended. You can use your phone, and I'll be I'll be cool with that. Um I have been around uh, a lot of different people. Think, think about the disciples, actually, for, for one quick second. None of you in this room would have picked the disciples to run your worldwide movement that you were trying to start. None of you. I know you know the end of the story. you like, I would have. No, you wouldn't have. You're lying. That's a whole separate sermon topic. All right, you would not have picked them. None of them you would look at and say, you're a leader. You're the one who's going to be the future of bringing this to the world. I'm entrusting this to you. But Jesus did. Think about church boards. They wouldn't hire Peter or Paul for the most part, both of whom who were strong type leaders. But they had some massive flaws, I think, that we'd say, that, that erases you from certain parts of the job description, will pass on you. And yet God saw something in them and chose them. I've been around many leaders. At, at San Jose Christian College when I was studying there, that school was about training up leaders. And one of the things that, that school specialized in, focused on, was wanting to put gospel preachers in pulpits across America. They wanted to train up people um, to to actually be on the mission field. They wanted the people who were who were going to give their life for the gospel in some way, shape, or form vocationally. Now as I think about my peers in that setting, there are some people who seem so sidelined and so not like leaders, and today, all this time later, they're leaders. When crunch time came and decisions needed be made and action had to be taken, they were the ones who stepped into the fire and led. And lo and behold, you go, wow, wouldn't have picked that guy. Other people who seemed to have the personality, seemed to have the opportunity, seemed to have the gifting, are nowhere to be found today. They're not leading in some way, shape, or form. When crunch time came... They, they stayed on the sidelines. They didn't step into the crisis. They didn't step up and lead. Or maybe for some other reason, they've fizzled out of leadership. So it's not a position, and it's not about personality. So because leadership is about influence, listen to this. I believe that every single person in this room is being led by someone, and that every single person in this room is leading someone else. If leadership is really about influence and not about a position, not about a personality, then it kind of opens the door of leadership to all of us, doesn't it? The, the, the biggest question sitting in a church on Sunday morning that I would want to put forward to all of us is this, is God being praised? Is God being praised in who's leading us, who's influencing us? Is God being praised in how we're leading and influencing other people? So that's what we're going to look at as we dive into Joshua this morning. In 1997, uh, some of you weren't born yet. In fact, I happen to know my son was barely born uh, in 1997. Uh, But many of you were and remember this event, that within one week of each other, two very prominent women died. And it was very public, and it was brought up. Look at that. It was brought up in the news and everywhere we went. Princess Diana and Mother Teresa both passed away in late summer of 1997. Now, they couldn't be more different on the surface. One roamed about in palaces. The other one resided in gutters. Princess Di um, clearly had a life of privilege. Mother Teresa, born in Albania, chose a life of poverty to go and serve the dying in Calcutta, India. But they shared a couple of things in common. In 1996, there was a poll that asked this question. Who is the most caring person in the world. This is one year before their death. You know who finished first and second place, don't you? These two ladies. So they shared this perception of who the most caring person in the world was. And secondly, they both possessed the incredible power of influence. If you know anything about Princess Di, you know that after her divorce to Prince Charles and leaving kind of the, the throne area scene... Um, She went on to go off on other kinds of humanitarian projects. She used her visibility. She used the constant paparazzi around her for good, for change. She made things happen. She rallied people around her. Now, I don't often hear these two ladies described this way, but wouldn't you say they both were leaders? Undoubtedly, these are two very powerful leaders. Here's what's what's incredible. They're leaders post-mortem. That's fancy for saying after they croaked, right? They're still leaders in some ways. There are people who want to go pilgrimage to do what Mother Teresa did because she did it and she led the way in that charge. I bring up these two women because I want to take your mind and just expand it about leadership and and not just shut down to say, "That's, that's not me, that couldn't be me. My question to you is this, who do you influence? Is there anyone that you influence? If so, I would put forth that you are leading them. Now think about this. You don't have to do this now, but what if sometime this week you just thought about this question, who is influencing me? Who's influencing me? And you start to name them. One, two, three. You know what I think you'd have at the end of that? I think you'd have a list of your leaders. If every one of us in here uh, this morning had massive beards and wore bandanas and talked about duck calls, who, who's leading us, right? Lindsay, who is it? The Duck Dynasty guys, right? Yeah. Uh, so, so now who led them? ZZ Top, right? So fashion, fashion has a way of kind of indicating um, who's leading you, right? Now, we wouldn't say, well, they're my leaders. Are they influencing you? Would you have grown that massive beard otherwise? Have you ever worn a bandana like that? No. They're leading you. So when you think about who you're influencing, that's who you're leading. When you think about who's influencing you, that's who you are being led by. All of this to say, leadership affects you right here, right now, today. And the art of uncovering biblical leadership has the potential, the power, to utterly change your life for eternity. And here's the kicker. It has the power to to change the lives of those around you who you might be influencing, known or unknown, for forever. So, are you fired up good about biblical leadership? Say yes, because I've got a lot more I can keep pounding on the intro. You better be fired up so we can move on. All right, good. Numbers 27, that's where we're going. Old Testament. Um, We're talking about Joshua, but we're actually going to leave a lot of the the book of Joshua alone this morning, we'll leave it for you and your community group to kind of dive into, but we're going to look at a very critical part of Joshua's story, and that's this critical moment of transition. Are there any track stars, or not stars, track track, uh, dropouts, track average people, track stars? Anyone do track in here? Have you ever done track? Okay, Steve, you've done track before. Um, all right, I didn't happen to have one. I don't have one laying around, and, and we, were, uh, we weren't out of paper towels, so I couldn't use the paper towel holder. But how important is the baton po- uh, pass in a relay race? Pretty important, right? I mean, you get that wrong, what happens? Two letters, DQ, right? And a world of shame, right? It's, it's, the, it's the difference between you know Olympic glory and Olympic goat. Some of you remember Beijing. Uh, Beijing is where the men's and women's U.S. Uh, four hundred meter team both dropped the baton. Once again, by the providence of God, in their worst moment, there's a photographer there to capture it for these people for all of time. This would make a great quote uh, contest. You know, The front guy is going, give me it, you know, hurry up. What's the back guy doing? Ah, you know, what are you doing down there? The other guy in some of their language is going, stinks to be you, right? And he's running by them. The baton pass is massively important in a relay race. The baton pass in leadership, think about organizations. The leadership pass, that baton pass in organizations, is massively critical. There are huge gains to be won when a principal of a school transitions to another principal in a really, really good, gone-honoring way. There are massive losses when that happens in an organization, uh, a church, a school, a business, when that is done poorly, underhandedly, and not to the glory of God of God. The Moses to Joshua baton pass is so phenomenal that people outside of Christianity look to it and study it about how to transition from one leader to the next. So we're going to take and just look a little bit at, instead of looking at all the great things Joshua did as a leader, I want to look at one tiny season of his life, this little transition period where he went from kind of an assistant junior varsity, into the bigs, at the helm, and now he's a full-fledged leader. We're going to look at kind of the baton pass between the two. The first thing we'll see, look at Numbers chapter 27, verse 15. We'll start there. It says this, Moses spoke to the Lord. Pause. You know what that is? That's a prayer. When you read in the Bible that someone spoke to God... Don't think that they're out in the woods doing something crazy. They're praying, right? I do that all the time while driving. So it's just stopping and talking to God. Moses did a wise thing. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Moses understood from personal experience the, the, the sovereignty principle of leadership. That is, that God's the one in charge. So what does he do when he needs a new leader? Every leader who's who's going out and is a good leader. By good leader, I would say this. Moses sat at the feet of God and worshipped God. That's a good leader. Even better is that he loved the people. There's a lot of qualities you can look for in a leader. But if they love God and they love you, that's that's... That's got to be 90 plus percent right there. Moses loved the people. Any leader going out that cares for the sheep, cares for, God, who do you have next? Who's going to shepherd them? They can't be leaderless. So he's got a heart for them. He knows it's God who raises up one and brings down another. I've had someone say at this church, um, usually people wait long enough to give backhanded compliments like this, but they said, yeah, you know what? I didn't really think that much of you, Dave, when you first came, but I knew that you were God's appointed man, so I followed you. <laughs> I said, praise God! I mean, that's really all I need. I don't really need for you to think I'm that impressive of a leader. I'm in good company. Paul wasn't thought of much when he was in the person. Maybe if I wrote more letters and sent them to distant places, they would think I was really impressive. But when I come in person, they're like, eh, not much. But here's what, I, here's what I mentioned to the person praise God that you had the insight to follow me just because I was in this position of leadership. I needed that. And this guy was a great follower. He's been a huge help. And we're close friends. We can survive open conversation like that. Jesus announced a revolution at every turn. He spoke into every nook and cranny of life, and he just announced a revolution. Certainly he did this on leadership. James and John, they're two of the uh, disciples who come to Jesus one day, and they're asking him for something. They're preempting the other ten. You know what they're asking for? Positions on his right and left. Jesus, really quick, got a quick question for you. And uh, you can read all about it. Mark, Mark ten is where they're they're talking about it. Now, here's the common sense answer. If someone comes to you and asks that, the the common knowledge question might be something like this: Hey, keep your nose clean, work really hard, study hard, do what I, as the mentor, tell you, and then we'll see. We'll see, as my family knows, is code for, yeah, I'm not going to answer you. Sometimes when they keep pressuring me, I say this. If you want me to answer right now, I will. It stops them. Because right now the answer is no, definitely not. You want this? No. You haven't developed as a leader enough. So common sense might be something along that lines. What does Jesus say? Here's Mark 10, chapter, verse 40. To sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. You know what his answer is? That's Father's decision. That's God who raises up those things. Psalm seven 75, 6, and 7 say this, For not from the east or from the west or from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up the other. Who knew this more from personal experience than Moses? At his own calling, he says, God, you got the wrong guy. God says, you're wrong, I'm right, I'm raising you up as leader. And then he got to look back on his life and go, wow, God was right. We need a new leader. Who do I turn to? I pray and I go to God. If you're in a position right now, by the way, of selecting a new leader, or you're in the position of being selected as a new leader in some way, shape, or form, I want you to think about these steps. All right, so the first step is to pray. Secondly is to select. Um, In... uh, in the Chicago Cubs uh, farm team, there's a, there's a manager of the Chicago Cubs, Ch- Charlie Grimm, who reportedly received a phone call from one of his scouts. The scout is super excited, talking rapidly into the phone, and he says, Charlie, I've landed the greatest young pitcher in the land. He struck out every man who came to bat, 27 batters in a row. Nobody even hit a foul until the ninth inning. The pitcher is right here with me. What shall I do? Charlie, the manager, replied, Sign up the guy who got the foul. We're looking for hitters. Here's the point. The manager of the Cubs knew we didn't need a pitcher. We need a guy who can hit. That one guy who barely got something, get him signed up. Here's why I'm talking about the Chicago Cubs right now. God knows who's needed for every position. Wouldn't we go to God in prayer? Of course we would. And so the selection process, look at at verse 18 of Numbers 27. 27. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hands on him. Sometimes church boards get this wrong. They say, man, we've got a guy who's got tons and tons of leadership experience. He's got vision coming out of his ears. And God says, I don't have that. I have a hurting people. We need a shepherd. We need a lover of the sheep to come in. His leadership and vision aren't so hot. Oh, we've got this guy who's a great speaker. Yeah, but he's prideful and not faith-filled, and his, his every you know, whim is toward growth and numbers, and that's not the kind of leader this church needs right now. I'm going to bring in this other person. God isn't impressed with flash. Remember the lesson of King David? The lesson of King David is, God looks at the inside of people, what's going on in the heart. He's not impressed by the external qualities and those kinds of things. There was a, well, kind of a little inside joke that went on. I was on staff at a church that was going through a lot of transition, and that's code for a lot of people getting fired and a lot of other people being brought in. And uh, so often when we'd see someone get up, in front of the whole church. This is why we try to bring our elders up a lot more than just when someone comes up and says, hey, we discovered someone's living in sin, you know, because every time the elders get up in front, the whole church kind of flinches like, "Ooh, what's he going to say? Well, we'd have people come up and and they would come up and they would explain how they've heard the call of God to go elsewhere. And sometimes when you're around that, and you hear a lot of people hearing the call to go elsewhere, it's easy to get cynical, isn't it? It's easy to think, huh, you're going from this position to that position, which is a lot more prominent, has better salary package, and whatever else might be going on. Or I happen to know you're in massive disagreement with the other strong leader on this team, and you've heard the call, and now you're moving on. Or I heard through the grapevine that there was actually some sin that was uncovered and some misappropriation of funds and whatnot, and all of a sudden you're hearing the call. I'll tell you, for me, I had to be healed from that because that's dysfunctional. I get really cynical about that. Anyone hearing the call is just kind of a smokescreen for something else. I remember being in Hawaii and driving by the the first church of Christ on the north shore of Kauai, and I was listening hard for the call of God. I mean, I was like, turn the music down. Lord, I'm here. Come on! Send it my way! No such call came, right? I'm still listening. But, um just kidding. You can all come with me. Um, but here's the reality. Let's not get cynical about that. God does... Call people from one place to another. He, he moves teammates around. He's in control. He knows that. There are times I've had people leave my ministry and, and be in fellowship with me. I've been so bummed about it, but, I'm, but I, uh, I'm, I'm excited about where they're going because of the sovereignty of God. I wrote, I wrote a, 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 an email this week about that to someone. Super thrilled with what's going on, but my heart's heavy as I write it because I know that our lives are going to change with that. All right, number three, we see that he develops. Look at number uh, Numbers 27, verse 20. God's still talking. You shall invest him with some of your authority that all the congregation of the people of Israel may obey. And he shall stand before Eleazar the priest who shall inquire for him the judgment of the urine before the Lord. At his word they shall go out and at his word they shall come in both he and all the people of Israel with him, the whole congregation. Now, Joshua was a great leader, full of the Spirit, full of faith, able to rally the people to follow him. And God knew that he was going to need to be all that, so he prepared him. I want you to think about Joshua, the great leader, as Josh the intern. okay? Because at one point, Joshua, the great leader, was Josh the intern. That's how he started off. That's how leaders begin. Luke chapter 16 gives some instruction. It says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So how do you know if you can trust someone? You start small. Let me assure you in this room that the leadership of this church does that with the very important treasures of God. Some of the treasures of God come in the form of money. That's about at the bottom of the list. Some of the treasures in... Of God come in the form of your children. We take great care to make sure that someone's faithful in little before we'd give them charge of being faithful in much, which is to be around our children and influencing our children. Those who would be in front of you, those who would be um, walking ahead of you as community group leaders, those who are pouring into your life and are entrusted to the soul care of your life, they're, they're entrusted with much. So we have gone through the rigors of saying, are they faithful in little? We don't take that lightly. And I think about interns. I was an intern at one point. I'm a big believer in interns. This church is going to pay for interns at some point. We're trying to get there. It's an incredible way to develop leaders. You know what interns do? They learn. <laughs> it's a painful process. They learn through success, they learn through failure. I think of one intern, and he's like, I can't teach, I can't do this, I can't do that. And then he taught. I'm like, You're right, you can't teach at all. That was terrible. Let's work on it. And we did. And through that, you know, falling flat on his face, he began to change and grow. And it was really, really fun to watch. There's another intern I could think of who got so wrapped up in seventh grade girl drama that I had to physically grab him by the arm one time and pull him aside and say, Wake up! You're 21 years old! You're a guy! Stop it! You're getting sucked into seventh-grade drama. The kids don't need someone on the roller coaster with them. They need someone on firm ground shouting at them, saying, hang on. Man, I could go through a whole giant list of my failures and the failures of my interns and the incredible successes to see a young kid who doesn't belong doing nothing and see God just, just work through that person. I love that it says, instill some of your authority, Moses, on this intern, Josh, and then we'll see what he's got, and we'll get to see it flourish. Number four is to support. Flip over to Deuteronomy for a moment. Go to the right. And in Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 28, it says this. But charge Joshua, and encourage and strengthen him. For he shall go over at the head of, his, of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Leadership is to be done with diligence, Romans 12, because it is ongoing and difficult. Some of you who are in direct leadership kinds of roles say, yes, it is. And you know that intuitively. God brings people into the lives of developing leaders to act as key supporting roles. Do you know that that's some of you in this room? We have some emerging leaders in this church. Lord willing, we'll continue to expand that and have some some growing young leaders. You know what what young leaders need? They need encouragement. They need support. You know what they need? They need to be given opportunities um, freely to say, you know what, this is ministry that I know and I can do, but I give it to you. You know a cool place for this to happen is Mexico. In Mexico, for some reason, we think it's okay to say, hey, you lead the Bible study, you take these kids, you, you go grab that, you go be the, the one in charge of that. Something happens sometimes when we cross the border and we go, okay, all done, you get to go back to kindergarten. What if we just thought in our minds, we said, man, what am I doing right now that I could just give away? If it were ever true that we should be working ourselves out of our job, it's true as a Christian. It's true in the local church. What are you doing right now that you love to do? That you go, you know what, let's train up some people that could do this. Praise God, they might take it higher and farther than I ever dreamt I could. And then God will open up new realms for you. Some of my peers at San Jose Christian burned out very, very quickly because they were thrown into the fire of leadership without this, with no support, from their local church and from home. And to this day, you ask, hey, what happened? How come you're not in ministry today? And they'll have a sour look turn on their face, and they'll say, Dave, it lasted 12 months. I didn't last 12 months because of this. Our young leaders need support. All right, number five is the commission. Flip back over to Numbers 27. And in Numbers 27, we see something really important, really imperative for us. Verse 22, And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. That's really important. A church board that prays, does a search committee, is on their knees, is fasting. God, who do you have for us? "Eh, We like this guy better. (laughs) And they don't go with it. They go against that. Moses did as the Lord commanded. He took Joshua and made him stand before Eleazar the priest, and the whole congregation. And he laid hands on him and commissioned him as the Lord had directed through Moses. You know what he's doing? He's transferring authority. He's taking the mantle of trust, the mantle of authority, and he's passing it on to Joshua by the laying on of hands in the presence of everyone. He's doing it publicly. What he's saying to the people As you have trusted me, as you have followed me all these years, and you know what kind of leader I am, I want you to take Josh the intern, I want you to race Josh the intern, I want you to give that to Joshua now, would you do that? And to publicly lay hands on and pray and commission him for this task. I don't know if you've ever had someone ask you to do something in a church or make a statement in a church, and this thought has crossed your mind. On whose authority? That's a really... Really good question to ask. Because there's a lot of people who've been duped by uh, unbiblical and uh, complete blind faith in people. But they had lots of charisma. But they wrote a book. But they had some good success under the belt. They had really great hair. They had their own TV show. Whatever it might be. And you look back and go, man, why did I fall for that guy? He, He duped me. On whose authority? That's a great question to ask. Transition to leadership is key in any, uh, in any organization. It's no different in your own life. I mean, think, think about this. Right now, your own leadership capacity could grow. Your own leadership uh, preparation could be on the rise. As a parent, we have a lot of parents in this room. Uh, and so I was thinking about this, that whether you care to be a leader or not, whether you think of yourself as a leader or not, whether you want to train for it and grow in your capacity to lead or not, the baton is being passed right now, today. I don't care how old your kid is. Is Lucas in the room? Wendy? Wendy's in the room. I talk to Lucas all the time. Laura's sitting here. We have we have children in the room. When is an appropriate time to start praying for your child? The answer always is Today but they're 27. I don't care. God is always fighting for us. Parents, do you ever stop fighting for your kids? Man, I think about John and Clyde. I love your story. Just, it never ends. I watch you. I I get exhausted because I go, man, my kids are young right now. It doesn't end when they move out. You'll always be fighting for your kids. You'll always be praying for the good of your kids. It starts today. You are handing off the baton right now. It could be that the baton's back in the drawer and you don't even talk or think much about it at all. It could be that you're fumbling it around. It could be that you're being really intentional and saying, man, I want to make sure that you've got this. This is really important. Let's rehearse this. Let's talk about it. In your community groups this week, I recognize some of you are taking a break for the summer, so I would really, really strongly encourage you. The community groups are going to essentially write a part of the sermon. Not because I'm lazy, but because we couldn't fit it in. Read Joshua chapter 1 through 9. It's all in your community questions, so you don't have to write anything down. But Joshua 1 through 9 is Joshua now taking the helm. God speaking to him. God emphasizing some things. God saying, here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. You want to know how to be successful? Here it is. You're going to open the scriptures this week as a community group, and you're going to write that part of the sermon. What is it God emphasizes? What does success look like? Great leader Joshua accomplished a lot of things. He led, he led the nation to victory. He drove out the enemies before them into the promised land. He was an advocate for them in time of defeat. He led them to salvation and, and safety over the Jordan River. And he gave them their inheritance in the promised land. Do you see Jesus in that? Jesus is our Joshua. And he's infinitely better. Jesus comes in and he gives us victory over every enemy, including death. He drives them out. Jesus is our advocate. Jesus is our Savior and provider. And Jesus ensures our inheritance. Far from being just a temporal place that we would walk land, which is vastly important to a nation, it's eternal. As the perfect leader, Jesus is to be followed and mimicked a whole separate sermon that we won't take time to look at is the leadership of Jesus. But if I could give the master's master principle, it'd be found right here in Mark chapter 10. It says this, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. We find Jesus washing feet. We find Jesus offering up words that built up others and not himself. We find Jesus giving away, giving away, giving away at every turn until his last and final act before he died was to sacrifice himself. Praise God, he's not in the grave. He rose, he's alive today, and God returned him to his rightful throne. That's the kind of leader that we want to follow. Who are you leading? Remember, if leadership is about influence, I believe everyone in this room is influencing in some way. Here's a couple of leadership things for every Christian. Number one is to lead people to Christ. We use that term all the time. So what is the person doing evangelizing? What is the person inviting to church? What is the person sharing the gospel but a leader, right? Lead people to Christ. Simple question. Are we working for this or against this? Are we leading people to Christ? Or are we somehow leading people away from Christ by our actions, by our words, by what kind of neighbor we are? Here's the second one. Lead Christians to lead others. 2 Timothy 2. This is Paul the mentor talking to Timothy the intern, borderline on his own pastor. He says this, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's an ongoing work, isn't it? That means that you, Christian, have a role in this. What are we pouring into others that we're leading uh, except that we should be teaching them to be able to teach others? And thirdly, lead the young to love God. And by young, I would say both age and spiritually. It's pretty cool to think that a high school student could be meeting with a 65-year-old across Across a table and have the high schooler sharing the wisdom of God because his eyes have been opened to the things of God and he's been trained in the Word of God and he's and he's illuminating. Would he do it with respect and gentleness? Absolutely. But I've seen that happen. That's a cool picture. But for those of us who are older, both in the faith and in age, to lead people to love God, Psalm One Forty Five Four says, "Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim." Your power. Now, because there are many parents in this room, uh, I want to blitz through seven prayers that you can pray for your kids right now. Do me a favor. Don't try to write these down, okay? I'm going to send you a link. This is from desiringgod.org, John Piper's organization. Uh, I discovered it. I'm going to put this on the city. Uh, If you want to get it from me because you're not in the city or something, then talk to me. But these are phenomenal to just begin praying for your children. Here's one. That Jesus will call them and no one will hinder them from coming that we would pray that. By the way, you say, I don't have my own children. Many in this room don't have their own children, but are actively involved in pouring into the next generation. I'm talking to you as well. The young of our church, what if they were covered in these seven areas? Number two, that they will respond in faith to Jesus' faithful, persistent call. Pray that for your kids. Number three, that they will experience sanctification through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit and will increasingly desire to fulfill the greatest commandments. Pray that of your children. That they will not be unequally yoked in intimate relationships, especially in marriage. That their thoughts will be pure. That their hearts will be stirred to give generously to the Lord's work. And number seven, that when the time is right, they will go. I think that's a different prayer list than a lot of people, even Christians in America, have for their kids. Safety, success, good grades, anti-bullying. I mean, whatever it is. It, it's it's so much more shallow, I think, so many times. This rocks my world and wakes, wakes me up to the things that matter, the things that will last. I'm going to invite the band up. While the band comes up, keep listening. Every single person here can grow as a leader. Whether you're ever called or recognized, you can grow as a leader. Number one, be God's man or woman right where you are today. Catch this. One day you may be invited to lead in ways that you can never today imagine. One day someone may come back to you and say, I want you to know the kind of influence, the kind of impact you had on my life, and you will be totally unaware of it up until that point. You know what that means? It means you were leading them, and you didn't even know that was going on. Be God's man or woman, not just for yourself, not just to honor God, but for those around you that you may be leading. And secondly, be strong and courageous. The same message given to Joshua in chapter 1 is for us. God has promised victory for us too. This book of the law that he's not to depart from the left or right, but will ensure his success, it's ours as well. Meditate on it day and night. Be strong and courageous, church, as we walk in the path God has for us. Lord, we thank you so much for leading us. We thank you, God, for those of us who are called into leadership roles that we feel ill-equipped for. That, God, so often we feel we're failing at or that we're not doing good enough or we see so much more that we could be doing. We, by faith, recognize that you would not call us unless you equipped us. So God, I pray that as leaders, as influencers, we would be incredible followers, that we would be intentional and sure about who and what is influencing us, who we're following. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.